0: So, Diabu, I spent some of the weekend putting up the Christmas tree.
1: We have a tree as well, yeah. He is. He actually lives in the garden for the rest of the year. We just bring him in. Oh, really?
0: Just a re... re- oh, wow. Reusable, real tree?
1: Uh, just a tree, yeah. Oh, oh. <laughs> he's, he's quite small. Oh, but anyway, yes, we lovely. did to put the tree, tree
0: up. So I've got a I've got a Christmas tree fact.
1: Oh, or nice. some
0: facts. Just facts about Christmas trees, really. So... Originally, people didn't use like a tree. They just used to bring in like branches from like an ever yeah. an evergreen tree, just to kind of brighten <laughs> the place up like, in the dead of the winter. Most of the trees are kind of like died. There's no leaves, so they just like they find whatever evergreen branches they can mm-hmm. find, and just stick them around the house. Nice. So it was not until the 16th century that people started bringing in Christmas trees. I was in Germany. I mean, I mean, like of course. <laughs> There's them to be
1: extra about it.
0: <laughs> people didn't start decorating them until Luther. And I'm not talking about the suave TV detective. I'm talking about Martin Luther. So he As used in, to...
1: Martin Luther, the Protestant, exactly. not Martin Luther
0: yeah. <laughs> So he, he was the first to decorate it. He was de- he used to decorate trees, apparently, with candles. Sounds a bit dangerous to me.
1: Yeah, people must have thought he was absolute freak.
0: Yeah, it's just like, <laughs> uh, health and safety. Health and safety. However, in America, they didn't actually start decorating trees until eight, the 1890s, which is pretty late. Because, that is late,
1: because we started doing Victorian times, right?
0: Uh, well, I mean, like, well, Luther started it, so I guess it kind of developed from that that point.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Like,
0: but the Americans didn't until the 1890s, because, you know, it's a bit of a puritanical place, America. Mm. So their preachers kind of, like, railed against, like, pagan Christmas tree like non tradition. <laughs> so they, they don't they didn't catch on until a bit later. There you go. It's Christmas tree actually
1: there. I do love a tree. I've got a tree, we've got an advent calendar because I'm 32 years old and I don't give oh, a don't shit. Oh, don't worry, I've got one. <laughs> Proudly. You're well old. <laughs> <laughs> also, before we start, I want to say Happy Hanukkah to everyone that's celebrating. I know that this. Episode will go out like once Hanukkah's finished, but today is actually when we're recording the last day of Hanukkah. So happy Hanukkah for everyone that was celebrating the Festival of Lights.
0: Happy Hanukkah. Uh, how are you? Uh not bad. I've got a cold. I've t- two oh. two weekends of three night binges has uh caught up with that's me. That's
1: not a cold, that's just a hangover.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it turned into a cold. My throat is killing me and um and all that sort Well of all at that least jazz. you don't have to
1: do most of the talking today. Yeah. That's me.
0: How are you doing?
1: I'm fine. Yeah, recording a bit late because I totally spaced and then a Thursday evening came around. We usually record on Friday lunchtime and I was like, I haven't done my research yet. Easily done. So I was like, holy crap. So this is why this episode is slightly late, only very slightly. Just a tad. Apart from that, I'm fine. It's very cold. I'm done with... I feel like I've checked out a little bit of this year. I want Christmas... To be here. Yeah, yeah. Like this next couple of weeks, I'm just going to be like, come on, Christmas. Basically, yeah, uh, 2020 and
0: 2021 were write-off years.
1: Complete write-off. Should I get started? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so this is festive month. As you might have guessed, it's not <laughs> a very like, creative theme, but that's what we're going with. And I'm going to talk about something you've definitely heard of. All right. I'm going to talk about the 1914 Christmas truce.
0: Ah, very nice.
1: (laughs) So what I'm going to talk about is what it is, for those of you who don't know, and then some first-hand accounts from that time, because some people might question, like, did it actually happen? You know, it's like, "Mm, is this like a fairy tale kind of thing? And so I want to put some first-hand accounts in there to prove to people that there was something going on there. And then we'll talk about the football game. <laughs> okay, so quick background of what's going on in the war at the time. So this is obviously the First World War. So during the first like 8 months of World War 1, the Germans attacked through Belgium and into France, and they had stopped outside Paris by like the French and British troops, and they had the First Battle of Marne in early September 1914. So this is when, you know, winter is about to set in.
0: Battle of Mons, mad because it was basically fought in like the same way that the Napoleonic Wars battles are fought. Yeah, it's really interesting because
1: yeah, like they hadn't. This is like modern warfare's infancy, so there was still like cavalry and stuff in the First World War. Just like
0: blocks of men being mowed down by machine guns is absolutely insane.
1: So the Germans fell back, fell back into Einsner Valley where they dug in, which means that they dug trenches and they kind of settled down <laughs> <laughs> to to wait and see, and then, you know, see what happened. So then there was a battle of Einsner, which is like the Franco-British troops, again, versus the Germans. And then they try to do lots of outflanking each other in terms of like, Kind of coastal things. Yeah. It's a bit like messy, but it was called the Race to the Sea, uh, where the two <laughs> sides tried to use maneuvers to outflank each other, which actually didn't really work either. So by November, armies had built continuous lines of trenches running from the North Sea to the Swiss frontier. So, like, a long way.
0: And that was the first time in war that there was a front line. It wasn't just like. A pick, like picked battlefield, it was that just a cont- continuous front for the first time ever? It wasn't
1: like meet here at this time and yeah. we shall battle. <laughs> like an, it was like like a,
0: like a fight after school. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> behind the bike sheds. <laughs> um, no, it was it was like this is the front line and yeah. we're like b- hunkering down. So before Christmas, nineteen fourteen. So you know the phrase, "It will be over by Christmas." Oh yeah. It probably came from the fact that there were several peace initiatives before Christmas 1914. For example, um, there was an open Christmas letter and it was addressed to the women of Germany and Austria signed by 101 British women suffragettes at the end of 1914. Which okay. is, so the women were trying to like appeal to the women. Yeah. There was also another one. This this isn't all of them, but there was another one by Pope Benedict the Fifteenth on the seventeenth of December, nineteen fourteen. He begged for an official truce between the warring governments. He said that the guns may fall silent at least upon the night of the angel sang, which was refused on both sides. <laughs> <laughs> um, if anyone's gonna like call for peace, it's gonna be like the Pope, yeah. right? And they were like, "No, Pope, you're not." You're not in charge anymore.
0: I was listening to something about Emmeline Pankhurst. What was it? Oh, Evil Genius, the Russell Kane podcast. And uh, yeah, they were talking on that about how she was a bit of a warmonger and she was doing the the little white, literally like flower thing on the. But her her, her, like daughter was like anti-war, I think, and they had like a big rift.
1: (laughs) Sounds good. I'll check that out. I like a good rift story. Let's get into instances of fraternisation. So, fraternisation sounds like a kind of naughty word. Yeah. But in some circumstances, it's literally just two sides of two opposing sides making friendly. So, peaceful and sometimes friendly interactions between the opposing forces, as in us and the French mm-hmm. and Germany, were kind of regular. Features of the quiet sectors on the Western Front, like you said, this is the first time there was like a front yeah. front line. So in some areas, both sides refrained from aggressive behavior, while in other cases, it extended to regular conversations and visits to one another's trenches. Because like <laughs> you might get really bored if nothing is happening. Yeah.
0: Just having to talk to the same people every day.
1: <laughs> so, for example, on the Eastern Front, so there's the Western Front and the mm-hmm. Eastern Front. On the Eastern Front, Fritz Chrysler reported incidents of spontaneous truces and fraternisation between the Austro-Hungarians and the Russians in the first few weeks of the war. Uh-uh. Then, truces between the British and German units can be dated back to as early as November 1914, around the time that the War of Maneuver ended. So I was talking about the sea, but... Yeah. So rations were brought up To the front line after dusk, and soldiers from both sides noted a period of peace when they collected their food. So they wouldn't, you know, they would come out, collect their food, um, and retreat without any kind of problems. By the first of December, exactly.
0: To paraphrase Homer Simpson,
1: (laughs) (laughs) that um, wise, um, (laughs) you know, orator. Okay, so by December the 1st, a British soldier could record a friendly visit from a German surgeon one morning to see how they were getting on, apparently.
0: Hey. Fair. Relations
1: between French and German units were generally a bit more tense, but the same phenomenon began to emerge there too. In early December, a German surgeon recorded a regular half hourly truce each evening to recover dead soldiers for burial, during which French and German soldiers exchanged newspapers. Yeah. This behaviour was often challenged by officers because there's a difference, I think, between like a private and an officer yeah. doing this.
0: Well, I guess that like, your your own newspapers at home are gonna be quite full of propaganda, like you don't really want to, your your soul will just be reading the other side.
1: Yeah, what is your country saying yeah, about it? I... What is your country saying <laughs> about it? other truces could be forced on both sides by bad weather? Especially when trench lines flooded and these often lasted after the weather had cleared. So if your trench is flooded, you're like, that's just called a truce so we can get this all, like, cleaned up. <laughs> it's cold and I have trench room. That is fair. <laughs> fair. I mean, sometimes I don't even, like, go to the office if I'm a little bit cold. So I can imagine, like, yeah, how right? cold it must have been. If it's raining Jesus. outside. Nope.
0: Not leaving. <laughs>
1: So the proximity of trench lines made it easy for the soldiers to greet each other. So that basically means how close they were together really. Yeah. Like they were close in some in some parts. Oh, yeah, no, they could no, just shout to each land other. was
0: uh, pretty titchy
1: Yeah, so this may have been the most common method of arranging informal truces in 1914. So the men would frequently exchange news or greetings, helped by common language. Many soldiers that were German had lived in England, particularly in London, and were familiar with English language. Several British soldiers recorded instances of Germans asking about the news from football leagues. <laughs> it's all about football, is it? While other conversations could be as when as discussions of the weather or messages from their ladies one unusual phenomenon that grew was music. In the peaceful sectors, it was not uncommon for units to sing in the evenings, sometimes deliberately with an eye towards entertaining or gently taunting (laughs) their opposing (laughs) opposite numbers. That obviously grew as the festive activity grew, because there's Christmas songs, and people might know the same Christmas songs, even if they're in a different language.
0: Yeah.
1: Let's talk about Christmas 1914. So, So, roughly 100,000 British and German troops were involved in formal ceasefires along the Western Front at Christmas.
0: That is going to be a big game of football.
1: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) all 100,000
0: of them. I'm not like a massive fan of football, but... That sounds I'd like watch a big the shit out of that, football game. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a big game of football.
1: <laughs> so the Germans placed candles on their trenches and on Christmas trees like we were talking about there were the candles oh, on yeah. the Christmas trees. Guys, health and Not safety. Health and safety.
0: I know you like you might be blown up by a shell, but health and safety.
1: <laughs> Seriously. I mean, just putting yourself at risk. <laughs> Then they continued their celebration by singing carols, and the British responded by singing carols of their own. The two sides continued by shouting Christmas greetings to each other. Soon thereafter, there were excursions onto No Man's Land, where small gifts were exchanged, such as food, tobacco, alcohol, and souvenirs, such as buttons and hats. You need a bun? I need a cigarette. (laughs) Like, that's what. Artillery in the region was completely silent. The truce also allowed a breathing spell where recently killed soldiers could be brought back behind their lines at, at, by burial parties. Joint services were held in many sectors. The truce lasted through Christmas night and continued on to New Year's Day in some others.
0: Yeah.
1: For example, on Christmas Day, Brigadier General Walter Congreve, commander of the 18th Infantry Brigade, wrote a letter recalling the Germans declared a truce for the day one of his men bravely lifted his head above the parapet and others from both sides walked on to no man's land officers and men shook hands and exchanged cigarettes and cigars one of his captains quote smoked a cigar with the best shot in the german army <laughs> the latter apparently was no more than 18 years old oh man Congreve admitted he was reluctant to witness the truce for fear of German snipers. But in the end, he managed to write this letter, so Ah. it seemed he was all right. Okay, so now let's talk about some more first-hand accounts, because you might be like, okay, sure, 100,000 people, whatever. (laughs) But there's quite a lot of first-hand accounts here, so we're going to go through some of them. I'll try and keep them (laughs) briefish. Okay, so Bruce Bain's father...
0: That is a great name.
1: amazing name, (laughs) if you're a relative, um, who fought throughout the whole war. Really? Survived
0: the whole thing? Badass.
1: He wrote, I wouldn't have missed that unique and weird Christmas day for anything. I spotted a German officer, some sort of lieutenant, I should think. Being a bit of a collector, I... intimated to him that I fancy some of his buttons. I brought out my wire clippers and, with a few deft snips, removed a couple of his buttons and then put them in my pocket. And then I gave him two of mine in exchange. <laughs> so he had some buttons. Nice. He, uh, he has a sweet button connection. This guy. I mean, like... Oh my god, I'm writing this picture book. Bruce, Bane's father, and his <laughs> button collection. A button box. Oh my god. It's in the <laughs> making. It's in my head. Okay. So then we've got a 19-year-old private, Henry Williamson. He was in the London Rifle Brigade, and he wrote to his mother on Boxing Day. Dear mother, I am writing from the trenches. It is 11 o'clock in the morning. Beside me is a coke fire, opposite me a dugout with wet straw in it. The ground is sloppy in the actual trench, but frozen elsewhere. In my mouth is a pipe presented by the Princess Mary. In the pipe is tobacco, of course, you say. But wait... In the pipe is German tobacco. Ha <laughs> ha, you say. From a prisoner or found captured in the trench? Oh dear, no. From a German soldier. Yes, a live German soldier <laughs> from his own trench. Yesterday the British and Germans met and shook hands in the ground between the trenches and exchanged souvenirs and shook hands. Yes, all day, Xmas Day, and as I write, marvellous, isn't it? Ah. Yes, I think that is marvellous. Captain... Sir Edward Rules reported how the first interpreter he met from the German lines was from Suffolk, and he left his girlfriend and a three point five HP motorcycle. Hosts were described a sing song, which ended up with Old Lang Syne, which we all English, Scots, Irish, Prussians, etc. joined in. But Old Lang Syne is supposed to be on New Year's Day, right?
0: Yeah. Maybe it's or just a general,
1: Eve. like... New Year's Eve. Well, yeah. like, when it hits Midnight, yeah, right? Yeah. Captain Robert Miles, King's Shropshire Light Infantry, who was attached to the Royal Archer Rifles, recalled in an edited letter that was published in the Daily Mail and in the Wellington Journal and Shrewsbury News in January 1915 um, that, and unfortunately this is following his death, that oh, the... No. the on the 30th of december 1914 but this is his letter that was published friday christmas day we're having the most extraordinary christmas day imaginable a sort of unarranged but quite unauthorized but perfectly understood and scrupulously observed truce exists between us and our friends in the front the funny thing is it only seems to exist in this part of the battle line on our right and left we hear all them firing away as cheerfully as ever "'The thing started last night, a bitter cold night, "'with white frost, soon after dusk "'when the Germans started shouting "'Merry Christmas, Englishmen,' to us. "'Of course, our fellows shouted back, "'and presently large numbers of both sides "'had left their trenches, unarmed, "'and met in the debatable, short-riddled, "'no man's land between the lines. "'Here the agreement, all on their own, "'came to be made that we could not fire at each other "'until after midnight tonight. "'The men were all fraternising in the middle,' We naturally did not allow them too close to our line and swapped cigarettes and lies in the utmost good fellowship. Not a shot was fired that night. Oh. He also wrote of the Germans. They're distinctly bored with the war. In fact, <laughs> one of them wanted to know what on earth we were doing fighting them. The truce in that sector continued until Boxing Day. He commented about the Germans. The beggars simply disregard all our warnings to get down from their parapet, so things are at a deadlock. We cannot shoot them in cold blood. I see, I cannot see how he can get them to return to business. So I guess once you've had a truce, it's like, yeah. now what do this we do? Like... like, do we just start shooting them again? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's a bit strange. Still on first hand accounts, Um Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, 1914, Alfred Anderson's unit of the first. And fifth battalion of Black Watch, which is like basically Game of Thrones style here, <laughs> was billeted in a farmhouse away from the front line. In a later interview, Anderson, the last known surviving Scotsman veteran of the war, vividly recorded Christmas Day. Can I just say that this this interview was in two thousand and three? Really? So yeah, he was the last surviving Scottish veteran. Oh of the wow! War. Like. Two thousand, like he must have been like a hundred yeah. something. He must have been like nearly a hundred and twenty or something. Ridiculous. Oh, no, there's no way he's that old. But he must have been like a hundred. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So he said of that Christmas day, I remember the silence, the eerie sound of silence. Only the guards were on duty. We all went outside the farm buildings and just stood listening, and of course, thinking of people back home. All I'd heard for two months in the trenches was the hissing, cracking, and whining of bullets in fight, machine gun fire, and distant German voices. But there was a dead silence that morning, right across the land as far as you could see. We shouted "Merry Christmas," even though nobody felt merry. The silence ended early in the afternoon, and the and the killing started again. It was a short peace in a terrible war.
0: Yeah, it's so crazy. They could just start up again. It is mad. <laughs>
1: There was uh, some people who Opposed the truce Mm -hmm. A man called um, General Sir Horace Smith Dorian, who was a commander Issued orders forbidding Friendly communication with the opposing Germans Also a corporal in the 16th Bavarian Reserve Infantry was an Opponent of the truce, a young man Named Adolf Hitler
0: Wow there's a surprise
1: (laughs) What a surprise (laughs) But it's easy
0: for like an officer to oppose like the truce, isn't it? In his lovely manor house that he's set up HQ in. Push-
1: oh, this time he was a runner in the. So he was a messenger in the First World
0: War. I mean, like the officer that you said first.
1: Oh yeah, that yeah guy. The, the, probably yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> Pushing like little models around on a bloody map. Right <laughs> for you, mate. She's playing
1: total <laughs> yeah, war. Exactly. So in the Comedies sector of the front, there was an early fraternisation between German and French soldiers in December 1914. During a short truce, and there were at least two other testimonies, testimonies from French soldiers of similar behaviours in sectors where the German and French com- companies opposed each other. For example, a man named Gervais Morillen wrote to his parents... The Bosch waved a white flag and shouted, comrades, comrades, rendezvous. When we didn't move, they came towards us, unarmed, led by an officer. Although we are not clean, they are disgustingly filthy. (laughs) I'm telling you this, but don't speak to it of anyone. (laughs) (laughs) We must not mention it even to other soldiers. Um, And then uh, another guy, Graves Berthier, wrote, On Christmas Day, the Bosch made a sign showing they wished to speak to us. They said they didn't want to shoot. They were tired of making war. They were married like me. They didn't have any differences with French, but with the English,
0: mm. apparently. Despite invading France, but fair
1: enough. I've got one from a German here as well. Last one. So Richard Sherman, who was a German regiment in a German regiment holding position on the Bernhardstein, one of like in in mountain basically mm-hmm. um wrote an account of events of december um when the christmas bells sounded in the villages of the vorskia behind the lines something fascinating on military happened <laughs> <laughs> that is such a good phrase fascinatingly on military german and french troops spontaneously made peace and ceased hostilities they visited each other th- through disused trench tunnels and exchanged wine, cognac and cigarettes for pumpernickel bread, biscuits and ham. Mm -hmm.
0: This suited them
1: so well that they remained good friends even after Christmas was over. He was separated from the French troops by a narrow no-man's land and described the landscape strewn and shattered with trees, the ground ploughed up by shell fire, a wilderness of earth, trees, roots and tattered uniforms. Military discipline was soon restored, but Sherman pondered over the instant whether, quote, thoughtful young people of all countries could be provided with suitable meeting places where they could get to know each other. So basically pubs, just <laughs> yeah. Irish pubs around Europe. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's what's needed. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you mentioned football matches oh, yeah. and how a hundred thousand people would be a crazy football match. So let's talk <laughs> about a football match. So some of you probably already know the kind of tale of how the Germans and the British came out of their trenches and they played a football match on Christmas Day. And a couple of years ago there was a Mark Spencer's advert. Christmas oh yeah
0: advert. Oh, that was a good advert.
1: No, <laughs> that was a tear jerk of That <laughs> one, and they they kicked the ball around and they shared some Mark Spencer chocolate, and it was all very sentimental. Okay, so let's talk about the football match that may or may not have happened, or well, what actually did happen. <laughs> so here's some. Okay, so many accounts of the truce involve one or more football patches paid in no man's land. This was mentioned in some of the earliest reports with a letter written by a doctor attached to the rifle brigade published in the Times on the 1st of January 1915, reporting quote, a football match played between them and us on, in front of the trench. Similar stories have been told over the years, often naming one or two units and even the score. Some accounts of the game bring in elements of fiction by noted robert graves a british poet and writer who was an officer on the front at the time so he reconstructed the counter in a story he wrote in 1962 and in graves version the score was 3-2 to the germans but that is a fictionalized version even though he was actually at the front
0: because he was never offside
1: (laughs) (laughs) so just bear that in mind i love robert graves but it was a fictionalized account so the truth of the accounts have been disputed by some historians of course because it is our job to look at accounts and be like is this true because if you don't have historians doing that who's going to do that that's true (laughs) in 1984 malcolm brown and shirley seaton Concluded that there were probably attempts to play organised matches which failed due to the state of the ground, but that the contemporary reports were either hearsay or referred to like kickabout matches or with like made up footballs, such as like tins of things. So it probably wasn't like. A football match, like let's put the goals up, and it's ninety yeah, minutes, yeah. and there's like a break in the mi- No, it was probably like a kick around, which is, to be honest, what I was imagining. Exactly, I wasn't yeah, imagining yeah. like them to get like on a, a shell goal
0: of out. Like, <laughs> was imagining to get
1: the bi- <laughs> yeah. the bibs on, you yeah. know, like in school, and you're like, okay, yellow bibs <laughs> over this side. No, um,
0: they might have uh, made some like goal posts out of tunics, you know,
1: a little bit of that. Maybe, maybe put some, you know, when you put your hoodie on the floor. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Chris Baker, former chairman for the Western Front Association and author of The Truce, The Day the War Stopped, was also sceptical, but says that although there is little evidence, the most likely place that an organised match could have taken place was near the village of Messiness. Messiness. messiness
0: I mean like I, be- I bet it was a mess at that time <laughs>
1: that is literally how it's spelled <laughs> mess i n e s messiness <laughs> okay cool there are also two references to a game being played on the british side but nothing from the germans if somebody one day found a letter from a german soldier who was in that area then we would have something credible. so he just he wants like more evidence which is oh, totally yeah fine, you know. Lieutenant Kurt Zichmush of the 134th Saxon Infantry Regiment said that the English quote, bought a soccer ball out from their trenches and pretty soon a lively game ensued. How marvelously wonderful, yet how strange it was. Okay, so, so there's a German There you go, account. there's your German yeah. quote. I don't know what more you want, Chris Baker. Oh, nice.
0: Sometimes historians just killjoys, aren't they? They just want to kill the fun.
1: <laughs> we really are. That's essentially my job description. I have to stop people using things. Okay, so um, in 2011, Mike Dash concluded that there was, quote, plenty of evidence that football was played on Christmas Day, mostly by men of the same nationality, but in at least three or four places between troops of opposing armies. There you go. Okay, there you go. Many units were reported in contemporary accounts to have taken part in the games. Dash listed the 133rd Royal Saxon Regiment pitched against Scottish troops, the Argyle and Sutherland Highlanders against unidentified Germans, Mm
0: -hmm. which
1: the Scots reported to have won for one Yeah, okay, (laughs) Scotland versus Germany, I don't think so. (laughs) <laughs> the Royal Feed Artillery against Prussians and Hanovers near Ypres and the Lancashire Fusiliers near Le Touquet with the detail of a bully beef tin as the ball <laughs> <laughs> One recent writer has identified 29 reports of football though it doesn't actually give substantial detail so I like mm, I need like the reference I want those footnotes uh, yeah. I need the footnotes um, Colonel J.E.B. Sealy recorded in his diary for Christmas Day that he have been quote, invited to football match between Saxons and English on New Year's Day, but it doesn't actually appear to have taken place. However, that's his diary, so like that's the best, in my opinion, yeah. the best evidence you can have at that time is diaries and letters.
0: Yeah, agreed.
1: Okay, so we're going to finish off by just talking about how he became aware of the truces and the football game because there had to be some public awareness for us to know Mm. about this. So the truces were not really reported for about a week and an official press embargo broken by the New York Times published in the Neutral at that time in the United States on the 31st of December. British papers quickly followed, printing numerous first-hand accounts from soldiers in the field taken from letters home to their families and editorials on quote one of the greatest surprisings of a surprising war
0: that's interesting that i got through the censors
1: well like there was like an embargo and then it was broken by by the u.s who were neutral at the time so there's no point you might as well just like so by the 8th of january pictures made their way to the press and the mirror and the sketch printed front page photographs of british and german troops mingling and singing between the lines the tone of the reporting was strongly positive with the times endorsing quote the lack of malice felt by both sides and the Mirror regretting that the absurdity and tragedy would begin again maybe if you find those pictures you could put them on instagram
0: oh yeah oh (laughs) for (laughs) that
1: author dennis winter argues that the censor had intervened, like you said, to prevent information about the spontaneous ceasefire from reaching the public, and that the real dimension of the truce quote, only really came when Captain Chugley in the Telegraph wrote after the war.
0: Mm-mm.
1: Coverage in Germany was more muted, as <laughs> you yeah, may expect, doesn't. with some newspapers strongly criticising those who had taken part and no pictures were published. In France, press censorship ensured that the only word that spread of the truce came from soldiers at the front, or first-hand accounts told by wounded men in hospitals. To be honest, I, I know it's censorship, but that's kind of a good thing. Like yeah. you want first-hand accounts to be the only thing that that was reported, right? Yeah. Um, so but- the press were eventually forced to respond to the growing rumors by reprinting a government notice that fraternizing with the enemy-, enemy constituted treason. This this goes back to our treason month from oh last man. month. Hashtag re-listen. <laughs> In early January, an official statement on the truce was published, claiming it was restricted to the British sector and the front and amounted to little more than an exchange of songs which quickly degenerated into shooting. Mm. That's not true, but whoever. <laughs> the press of neutral Italy published a few articles on the events of the truce usually reporting the articles of, of the foreign press. On the 30th of December, 1914, Corri della la, de Sera, I'm sorry, my Italian is the worst, <laughs> printed a report about a fraternisation between the opposing trenches. The Florentine newspaper La Nazuin, oh god, sorry, my Italian... <laughs> Published a first-hand account about a football match played in the no-man's land. Okay. In Italy, the lack of interest in the truce probably depended on the occurrence of other events, such as the Italian occupation of Lori, um, and the debut of the Gavribaldi Legion on the front of the Argonne and the earthquake in Avezzano. Avezzano.
0: Busy time in Italy.
1: Basically, Italy had other shit going on. Yeah,
0: they were distracted.
1: And, and that's the story of the Christmas trees.
0: Oh, it's lovely. Reminds me of a quote by Paul Valerie. It says about war. It's a massacre of people who don't know each other for the profit of people who know each other but don't massacre each other.
1: Yes, <laughs> so true. Do you know what my least favorite phrase is? When people say, like, we won the war. Yeah. Because there are no winners in war. Whether or not yeah. we came out on top for some reason or other, there's no winners in war. No. They don't exist. And I hate that phrase. So just the pacifist in me has to say <laughs> this there are no winners in war, only people who do or do not play football games. <laughs> um So next week we'll continue with our festive one um and we'll have two more episodes of festivity before we take a two-week break for christmas and new year and while we're having a break you could go back and listen to all our episodes oh quick note we have taken down the first three or four episodes yeah partly because they were too long and partly because our editing has got a lot better
0: (laughs) so we can redo those so we can redo those people
1: but that's why they have disappeared (laughs) everyone so you can start with the first episode now. I think Anne Bonny is your yeah. episode. Um, and
0: Everyone loves Anne Bonny. She is the best pirate.
1: One of the best pirates. One of the best pirates. She might be the best pirate. <laughs> 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 Discuss. <laughs> hashtag is Anne Bonny the best pirate. And you can use the hashtag at Twitter or Instagram where you can follow us at HaveYouEverCod.
0: Follow us wherever you're listening to us. Wherever you're listening to us. There we go and uh, if you want give us a review five stars maybe i mean if maybe you, if want, you to.
1: want to and then no pressure but a little bit of pressure
0: yeah and do a little <laughs> right give us your name and we'll give you a shout out or something like that and something like, lovely like that
1: if you've got this far you might as well tell your friends as well you exactly. can hit that share button share it either on social medias or just via text via whatsapp you know send a carrier pigeon um Whatever you want to do, that was and a favorite.
0: That was a favored form of um, communication in World War One, so fitting for the episode. Very f-
1: in fact, if you can find a carrier pigeon to send our podcast somewhere, I think that would be the f- a first, really, yeah. wouldn't it? <laughs> podcast by <like> carrier pigeon, <laughs> and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.